Hey friends, welcome to Boca, a podcast exploring the ever-blurring lines between the personal and business lives of professional photographers. This is your host, Nathan Holritz, and I'm happy that you can join me today in connecting with photographers and entrepreneurs as we discuss photography, business, and oh yeah, that sometimes messy thing that we call life. This podcast is brought to you by Photographer's Edit, custom image editing for the wedding and portrait photographer. Just visit photographersedit.com. All right, Boca Podcast listeners, thank you so much for making time to, to listen in again for another episode. And I'm here with a relatively new friend of mine, Juliana from Juliana J Photography. Thank you so much for making time for us today. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be on here. Well, we're actually going to get into a topic today that we really haven't covered on the podcast yet. And we're going to get there in just a few minutes, but we're going to start off like we normally do with something that we call a technique for time. And very simply, this would be a tip, a trick, an idea, a workflow or an approach to workflow that helps you save time in your day-to-day or week-to-week workflow so that you can do more than just work. What's something that comes to mind? Okay, so I'm not like totally saying this because you're on here, but I literally, it's photographer, like your guys' service photographers edit. I have saved so much time doing that as a wedding photographer and like being able to take that time back has allowed me to honestly be able to do what we're going to be talking about today. So I'm excited to talk about that. Well, that that's, and we were actually, I was thanking you before we got started for the opportunity to be able to edit your images. And I know that those listening in may think that I kind of plan these questions around, you know, the idea of bringing up photographers edit. we didn't plan this. And I, and I truly yeah. appreciate the compliment. It's really, really kind of you. I know that, that it's, it may seem biased for me to say this kind of thing, but you know, the, the most time consuming element of running a photography business. And I know this having been a wedding photographer for over a decade, um, is the editing. I mean, it, it just, that's the reality of digital photography these days. And so I am so happy to be able to have a part in photographers' lives to be able to save them that kind of time so that they can, you know, sit back and watch Netflix if they want to spend time with important people in their lives and do things that are going to actually move their business forward. And it sounds like you're actually making a pretty big transition in your business. We're going to talk about that here in just a little bit. But talk to us a little bit about the idea of being centered and present and focused. This is honestly this question. Um, and I think I, well, I alluded to this just the other day in one of the episodes, but this comes from something that I'm very curious about right now, but I've experimented a little bit with meditation and just kind of learning how to manage my thoughts. But is there something that you do on a daily or weekly base, basis that helps you in that way? Oh my gosh. Yes. It's my morning routine. Mm. I literally, I'm obsessed with my morning routine and it's something that I started kind of researching. Probably I would say, man, last November, Okay. just because I felt like I was in this position or in this place where I was burnt out. I was just feeling so stuck in this routine, sort of just feeling honestly a little sad and couldn't figure out what it was. And I started researching like, okay, I, I made the list of like, you know, the average list of what you think you need to do. And one of the things that kept coming up was this idea of like what CEOs do. And they were saying that like, they are able to be the most productive in the morning. They are the most successful Hmm. because of this time that they have in the morning. And so as I dug, dug more into it, I realized like I I need to just try this. And so I started trying to wake up like I'm not a morning person. So my average was like to have no alarm, wake up whenever I wanted and just kind of get up and do a to-do list and just figure out my day. 
it wasn't actually producing any results and it was actually leaving me feeling more or less fulfilled and less just focused and less in so many ways. And so once I decided to get up earlier, that was hard. That was definitely a challenge, but it started to get easier. And eventually I got to a point where now I naturally wake up between four and 5 a.m. Oh my word. Wow. Yeah. That's how early, like, and I don't even have, like, there are people that follow me and are, because I, I document this. So I've literally created a whole highlights over on my Instagram account. Yeah. I was going to bring that up. I, I was just taking a peek at it actually. Yeah. It's actually really, really great because it's encouraging me. Like now I'm trying to show up for these people, but they're also going, wow, how do you do that? Like I have a kid, I have this, I have that. And I'm like, I mean, your kids aren't up at 4 a.m. I would hope at this state, at some stage in their life. But I mean, really, it's like even if you could find 30 minutes before the whole world gets up in your world, whatever that looks like, and take that for yourself, it is a game changer in how you approach life and how you feel about life and what you're able to accomplish and how you end your day feeling so much more fulfilled. Yeah, this is interesting, and and I have to. I'll just keep it simple for now and say that I that I wholeheartedly agree with you on multiple levels. But I, I, the first one of the things that comes to mind, though, and I'm really curious how you would respond to this. You know, people talk about uh, we we've talked about this on the podcast, just on kind of a, a bigger picture level in the past. But um, somebody, or we as as human beings in first world, at least American culture anyway, have this tendency of saying, "I am." fill in the blank. I am, you know, this personality, I have this tendency and uh-huh. the conversation just kind of ends there. Right. And so one of the things that we hear most commonly is I am a night owl versus an early morning person. How would you respond yeah. to somebody who says that that is quote who they are, or at least that they have that tendency. Um, and did you use to, to kind of subscribe to that mentality and did you make a big change? How would you respond? Yes, I have so much on that. Like I literally lived my whole life thinking I am lazy. I am not a clean person. I am messy. I am not a morning person. Hmm. I am a creative. I am not a like like all these I like limited beliefs. Yeah. Until I surrounded myself with the I feel like the right people hmm. who were able to see me and tell me like literally be able to say you are not those things like that is your own belief and your own message in your head yeah and i i got it like they all got therapist the same therapist it's so funny this therapist is literally like our <laughs> she has so many of the same clients she's actually geared towards creative entrepreneurs because she knows how our minds work and so this therapist once i got her i literally walked in and i said i had heard so many great things about you she's actually an online therapist. So I went online and she said, I was like, I have heard so many great things about you and I'm showing up today with you because I believe that it's my laziness. It's my this and this and that has not allowed me to become productive. I didn't come in at all thinking about the morning routine. Hmm. And when she dug in and asked the right questions in within one session, I was like mind blown. I was just like, whoa, this is where it comes from. This is like where that message started in my life. And now she's saying, but you have the control to change that. It's not easy, but you literally have to tell yourself every day, that is not who I am. I am allowed to change who I am. And once that happened, oh, it's been like limitless possibilities. It's literally what has turned me into, I feel like this amazing year, year that I'm doing this year, which I'm so 
it is beyond what I've ever thought I was going to be doing Hmm. like beyond. Well, I, there is, you know, we've, and again, we've, we have discussed this in the, in the past, but I think it, it is worth repeating that as easy as it is to kind of simply categorize ourselves or label ourselves to try to make sense of our life, or at least make a little sense of our life. I think it's, it really is limiting. I love the phrase limiting belief. And it reminds me, I mean, that's a, that's a phrase that I think I've heard from Tony Robbins in the past as well, uh, or read from him. And it is this idea that you're buying into a concept or a belief or an idea that is ultimately inhibiting you from being the best possible you. And the reality is that we can be so much more if we're willing to, I mean, and I also love that you brought up the fact that it is, it's not it's not that it's going to be easy to make change, but the the option, the opportunity, the possibility is there if we actually want it, if we truly believe that it can happen. And uh, and yet our culture, again, it tends to kind of oversimplify and to categorize and to stereotype. And this is hurtful on multiple levels. And, and this includes something as I think anyway, is something as simple as, you know, personality tests have been, become so popular in the last number of years and strengths finders and Enneagram and, and it's fun to talk about. And and the reality is that there's probably some uh, helpful truth therein that at least helps us understand our tendencies. But I like to use the word tendencies because a tendency doesn't feel concrete or set in stone. There's still opportunity to improve, to make change. And so in my mind, the idea of simply limiting ourselves to a personality type or to a particular behavioral pattern or uh, particular interests or desires, well, again, we have tendencies. We have to realize, number one, that those tendencies largely, if not, not mostly, came from just experience, life, doing life and making one choice or another and ultimately developing a particular habit or behavioral pattern. And we have the ability in the same way to then be able to choose to change that behavioral pattern. And that is so empowering. And I've experienced this personally, and I know that other ha- others have as well. And I love that you have and that you're an example of that. But I, I would just use this opportunity to encourage our listeners, if there is something in your life that you'd like to be better at, even just on a personal level, maybe something that you don't even necessarily put out there for the world to see, you have the ability to change it. You just have to actually buy in. And I would highly recommend, and we'll link to this in the show notes, um, there is a an ebook actually. It was originally a, a six seven hundred page or so book that Tony Robbins wrote years and years ago. They it, it was rewritten as a as about a hundred page ebook. It's free download. We'll link to it in the show notes. Called Reawaken the Giant Within. Kind of a cheesy title, but the, <laughs> the psychological principles innate to that is certainly reflective of what we're talking about here. And ultimately, really truly, some of the most powerful principles if you're willing to actually buy in. To, to go back to our conversation, if you're willing to actually buy in some of the most powerful principles um, that I've ever had the opportunity to read in a book. So we'll link to that in the show notes. Uh, if you're feeling kind of stuck in life or in business, those of you listening in, make sure you check that out and it'll be really helpful. But thanks for for kind of setting that example for us, Julianne. I, I love that. Um, and we'll also, of course, link to your Instagram account where you have those highlights of what your morning routine kind of looks like. Uh, pretty fascinating. Actually, the first one that popped up, it was you standing in front of your cupboards, which are also acting as whiteboards, right? 
Yes, my uh, kitchen cabinets in my tiny studio in Seattle were like whiteboards. And I mean, they didn't, they were, I hope, I don't think they knew that. And so I felt really bad, but I didn't leave any marks. They totally wiped off. <laughs> and I usually, and I mean, in a 420 square foot studio, I have no space. And right. so I was like, this is my whiteboard motivator. That's, and so I love it. Yeah, that's what I did. That's yeah. cool. Well, we'll link to your Instagram account as well so that our listeners can see that as well as look at your work. Um, and the Instagram, for those of you listening in, is ms. J-U-L-I-A-N-N-A-J. And again, we'll link to that in the show notes, but um, you're going to want to check out Juliana's work there. Let's get to the next question. Talk to us about one of the most impactful books that you've had the opportunity to read. Okay, so I hope nobody... I'm going to be honest. I don't read. I am not a reader. It is not where I bit my time, but I love, love, love the knowledge that you get from reading. So I take this, I like to, I don't say it's the lazy approach. I say it is what works for me. And that is that when somebody tells me about a book that's like a must read or a business book that's like, yes, this is like changed my life. And there are those books that I've heard of. I am the girl that goes on Google and like looks for the blogger who went down and broke down the biggest highlights and the biggest points. Yeah. And I read that and I'm like, yes, in like less than 30 minutes, I'm like, I got it. And I can get into conversations about books by doing that. And I'm like, yes, this totally works for me. So a few of those books would be um, The Miracle Morning, which it literally is one of the books that is, I don't follow it to a T, but it's super talks about that whole concept of morning routines and how it really can change you for you and your business. And um, The Five Love Languages, Mm -hmm. I thought that, I mean, that was probably one book I would fully read. I mean, it's just, there's so many benefits to that. Just understanding how you can love your friends, how you can love on your people, like on your, how you feel loved. I think that was, that was definitely a game changer for me. And the four hour work week was probably the first book that I ever tried to open. And within like pages, I was like, I'm going to go Google what, what all of this is about. (laughs) The darn Tim Ferriss, he is the reason I don't read probably. That's funny. (laughs) Was it just yeah. so? I'm, but I'm curious about this though. Do you do you just have a hard time sitting down for a period of time to to read? Do you get distracted? Like, what's the challenge there? Okay, so English is not my first language, and while I sound like I can speak really great English, I struggled. I grew up in a multicultural family, and so okay. my dad is Middle Eastern, my mom is Hispanic. They literally both came from their countries. And met here, and so growing up, it was so confusing. I was like, "What the heck?" Wow, and. I was behind, like I was always behind when it came to reading and to being able to spell. My grammar was not great. And so this was my limited belief for the years, years. And so I, I hated reading because it was an insecurity issue. It was like, I can't pronounce half these words. I don't know what half of these words mean. Mm. And it became, it made me feel so negative about myself that I chose to not read for years. And now I'm like, I own it. And now I'm just like, I'll just Google that. <laughs> like, and I'm just happy with that. Like it makes me happy. And so I'm like, that's just how I do things. And while I'm sorry for the readers out there that do read, like I love books. I just, it's just not where I spend. I don't want to sit there for like 10 hours trying to pronounce words. <laughs> <laughs> I totally get it. No. And, yeah. and I can, I can empathize too with, I mean, the reality is a lot of business books and self-help books, a good bit of them are just kind of fluff filler. Um, And ideally you could take, you know, just the primary principles and walk away. And and actually to that end, I'll go ahead and mention a couple of resources and we'll also link to these in the show notes as well. But there are a couple, actually more than two companies, but I'll mention two here that 
summarize books. So if you don't want to have to sit down and read a you know, two, 300 page book, but you still want the main ideas from that book, uh, there's a company called getabstract.com and then Blinkist, just like it sounds, B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T.com. A couple of companies that create book summaries that are somewhere in the realm, I think of like seven to 10 pages long or so that, that highlight the main ideas within the book. And of course, the reality of, of that type of a book summary is that you do miss the nuance and the conversation and the story, uh, but you still walk away with the main ideas, at least as this person writing the summary sees it and it enables you to be able to, to capture that information in a much shorter amount of time and not have to deal with the so-called fluff. Um, so we'll link to those in the show notes, but um, I, I totally understand your your point. I also, I mean, I, I have a bit of a multicultural background. I, I spent about 10 years of my life in Japan, and so I speak two languages. How many languages do you speak? I speak solidly two. I wish I could speak Assyrian, which is what my dad speaks, yeah. but... I can I can tell you all the foods because that's what I grew up with my <laughs> grandma. Awesome. I'm like I want that that that. All. She's like you were my most like hungry grandchild. You just <laughs> knew all the food. So uh, is that yeah. is that something that you're happy to be known for? Is you ate all the food? Oh yeah, I was like <laughs> I was an easy eater. Like everybody that's else brilliant. was a picky eater, and I was like I'll take everything. And so they loved me for it. I love so, it. I'm, yeah. <laughs> That's cool. Well, talk to us a little bit about your, your photography. I mean, we've already alluded to your Instagram account. Your your website also is Juliana, J-U-L-I-A-N-N-A, Juliana, jphotography.com. We'll link to that in the show notes as well. But talk to us just a little bit about the backstory and photography and how long you've you've been a professional photographer. Oh, my gosh. I was thinking about that this morning, and I was like, when did I start? I started in 2005. Okay. That is 14 years ago. That's awesome. I was shocked. Yeah. I was like, what? How have I been doing this for 14 years? Um, yeah. So 14 years ago, I started. I was a baby photographer at 18. I did not think I was going to be a wedding photographer. Like, that is not where I I didn't, like, pick up a camera and was like, this is where I was going to be. Sure. I... I kind of grew up in a culture, uh, cultural, sorry, you'll, you'll hear me say things really weird again. Not English You're totally well. fine. But I grew up uh, with a very, very, like my parents were the nine to five typical people, hard, hard workers would take any jobs because they, they kind of had to, and they mm. dreamed of an American life. And that looked like working for somebody else and having security and being able to give us a it got a nice, you know, comfortable house and a better opportunities. They really, really wanted us to go um, and get really great jobs. And like, you know, there was such a sense of security with working for other people. And hmm. I, that was where I was heading. Um, my parents unfortunately couldn't afford to take me to like, but me in college, college wasn't even really on the radar. I didn't even know about college. It was the weirdest thing. I didn't even know like what college was. And everybody was talking about going to college. And I was like, what are you guys talking about? You pay to go to school? Isn't this free, what we're doing right now? <laughs> and so the concept of it was so odd to me. But I worked three jobs. I worked at 17. I was working at McDonald's for two years already. Yeah. I was working at a dry cleaners with the middle girl that would literally was in the middle of this dry cleaner. So in the front, you have all the, um, I, I want to say like all the, Americans kind of people that could speak to the customers and in the back you have all the ethnic people who really didn't speak English but mm. could you know took jobs to press and steam your clothes and I was the girl in the middle who lined it like took the clothes that was steamed put it in your bags and then gave it to the people at the front because I could communicate with both worlds interesting okay and 
yeah, it was a very interesting job and I had it for about four years. By the way, I have to say, and this is totally random, but I, the world of dry cleaning is a, 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 a weird way, kind of a fascinating one to me because I don't actually have any idea what that looks like behind the scenes. Yeah. And, and I'm just curious. I, I know it's totally random, but like what actually dry cleaning looks like and the process looks like, I, I don't know that I've ever really seen that before, but that's interesting that you spent that much time there. Yeah. So you mean as an operation or as far as the process of dry cleaning for your clothes? I guess just the, yeah, the process, you know, because it, you, if I ever drop something and it doesn't happen a whole lot, but if I ever drop something off at a dry cleaner, mm-hmm. it, you know, there's a stain that needs to get removed and, yeah. and then I go back however long later and I pick it up and this thing, it's, you know, it, it looks generally looks nice and it's and it's starched and pressed and perfect and and yet it i don't i don't know how that actually happened <laughs> like right, wow I'll give, you, I'll give you the very quick version of that okay so you drop it off and you put it in a bag they then ask you do you want starch so you have light you have no light medium heavy yeah heavy obviously being like that really thick feeling sure so that is like a, a separate like they have loads where it's like this is our medium starch load or whatever and that's how they divide it they then ask you, do you have any stains? They will mark a little tape on the stain so that when the person that's checking in your clothes can see it. Okay. When they throw these bags into this like section, the person then grabs it in the front. She empties out the bag one at a time so she doesn't mix people's clothes. And she goes through every piece of sh- like shirt, looks it back and forth and goes, oh, there's a stain, there's a tape, there's a tape. They then check it in and they type it in like what it is. It's a shirt. That's how you get your price. Yeah. They they get these printouts with tags and then they like tag every item of clothes so that they know when they, when they go back out there in production and they go back into distribution, like, which is where I was, I would then see those tags and I would match up the numbers so that you would get all your clothes back into the rack that you brought it in. So that way it wasn't like getting mixed in with other people's stuff. But you know, things always happened. It always, sometimes things went wrong. Honestly, I'll tell you my favorite piece though. I just need to say this. Okay. People leave money all the time, cash in their pockets. And there is a literally a sign that says, check your pockets. Anything you leave in your pockets, we might not give back. (laughs) So it was bonus. Like I would come in and I would get these clients and I was like, I swear, they just want to give me tips. They would always leave a $20 bill in their pocket. And I was like, and the rule was, if you got the money, you don't tell anybody else. Like, if you were in the front and you okay. worked the front, like, do not tell anyone else because they will get jealous. And so we would just take the money. <laughs> wow. And I was like, I feel so bad. But I was like, the rule says, check your pockets. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. Well, the, the, there is, for our listeners, there is your uh, random dry cleaning facts for the day brought to you by Poka Podcast. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's hilarious. Okay, so you started McDonald's, then you're working in the dry cleaning industry. And then yeah. where'd you go from there? I, so I did both at the same time. Oh, okay. And then my third job was I ended up working as a waitress at this, con- it was Mexican food, but the name of the Mexican restaurant was called Country Girl. <laughs> Random? So yeah, that is confusing. Super brand, brand confusion there. I was like, what is happening? Yeah. People were so, come in wanting like eggs and biscuits. And I was like, we serve Mexican food. <laughs> so... Yeah, it was really, really crazy. But it was that job that I took in order to fund my gear that I was really like getting excited about. Okay. And I, I, the third job was literally just to fund the camera that I wanted. And so, yeah, that's kind of where I started. And so 
my boss at the dry cleaners was the one that noticed that I was starting to take pictures and he was an entrepreneur, like an amazing entrepreneur. He mm. owned the business of the dry cleaners and he, he had like a liking to me. Like he saw what I did. He saw how hard I worked. He saw that I was involved in both worlds. And he was like, you are so unique. You are very different. You think differently. And I was, I was like 17. And I was like eating it up because I had never had anybody who had ever looked at me like that. My parents didn't, no one did. Like no one in my life at this point had ever told me they saw so much potential in me and they could see this uniqueness in me. And mm. I, I, I was really like, was, I don't know, I was drawn and I was like, thank you. And so he decided to teach me a little bit about what he did. And he was like, I'm going to teach you how I run this place. I'm going to teach you some things like, would you mind like if I did this and in exchange, I'm going to put you on salary. I'm going to lower your hours to 20 because I was working 40. I want you to quit your McDonald's job. And he's like, I want you to like, it's okay to do the weight interesting thing. It's only two days a week. And I will, the money you get, I want you to fund, I want to fund you starting your business. Like, I want to, yeah, it was like mind blowing. I was like, are you serious? He's like, don't tell anyone because we don't need jealousy. And this place was a very jealous place. Wow. Okay. He's like, so he's like, but this is like the deal. Like, if you do this, you have to promise me you're going to do something with this. Like, I want you to be an entrepreneur. Like, I want you to, I want you to get out of here. This is not your life. You are not supposed to be here. Wow. It's like, okay. And so I was like, holy moly. Okay, I can do this. And so, yeah, he was he was my my pusher, and he was the person that really got me thinking. So. Wow. Yeah, it was what an incredible that start. Is, yeah. And, and, you know, you, sometimes you hear stories like that, but then they kind of go south because the person's trying to take advantage of you or something. But what an incredible story. And, and how, I mean, it's, it's a, it's inspiring, but then it's also um, an encouragement, I think, for us to remember that, you know, speaking encouragement into somebody else's life, even if you can't financially support them or provide a job for them or whatever the case, but there's just smiling and encouraging the significance of that, you never know what that other person might be going through or how they're feeling at the time, but just making that effort, it's amazing how that can can ultimately transform somebody's life or be the, the turning point that they move in a positive direction too. And it, I, I don't know, I just, I, I think there's something to be said for, and, and I need to work on it more, I need to be more consistent in this, but smiling and encouraging and supporting the best we can, even if it's for 30 seconds and you're talking to somebody at the checkout you know, line at Walmart or whatever it might be. Um, I, I think that, that that is a really good encouragement and reminder of that. But what a beautiful story. So that that was a transition point. You you begin to shoot at, at how old then? You said 18, 17? I was, it was 17 when I got my – I would like to say that the like first two years of – was literally just a learning period. I didn't really like, I shot like things, but I never charged. I was, I was just trying, I didn't even think of it as like a charging business. I literally just wanted to shoot Mm. and just shoot for fun. And so, yeah, I think about 19 was probably the age when I started, like I put my first Craigslist ad for like a hundred dollars or buy me dinner and I'll photograph your kids. (laughs) That was my, that was my pitch. That's awesome. That's brilliant. Okay. So talk to us though. You've been a photographer for quite a while now. What yeah. would be, like from those years of experience, what would be the, the piece of advice, if you had 15 seconds to give a fellow photographer, especially a newer photographer, a piece mm-hmm. of advice from what you've learned, what would that be? My advice, honestly, it's not, it's, it's really simple. It's mindset more. And that is like, honestly, just do it. Like, honestly, just do it. Like mm. if it's something you want to do and it's something that drives you passionately, start 
work. Like I didn't start thinking or comparing. And I also didn't start in a time where there was, I understand it's hard now. It's hard not to go on social media and compare and say this and this and that, but you have to literally block all that out. And you have to remember, why are you doing this? You're doing this because you love shooting. So just show up, shoot, shoot for yourself, put it on a tripod. I do personal projects almost daily. And I just photograph for me because it's what fuels me. It's what I love to do. And it's that mindset. It's that that I do every single day that really like draws people to me and draws people to want to hire me. It's like super simple. Uh, yeah, it's simple. It's it's proactive as far as an approach to life. I love that. You know, and I, I tend to honestly, I tend to err on the side of just do versus planning out all the details. I would still encourage everyone to to think through the details of what what you're about to do. But at the end of the day, you do have to do it. And it's easy to get stuck in our head and not actually then follow through and do the thing. And uh, so I think that's a great piece of advice. And I and I I would wholeheartedly. Um, mirror that advice as well. I think it's I think it's great. What talk to us a little bit about the the photography business and your brand position. And I know that you're going your business is going through some change too. I don't know if this is transitioning to a new brand position, but what actually sets you apart? Uh, and I'll actually, you know what, I should do this because uh, I don't do it very often right now. But let me define the idea of a brand position too. What I actually sent to you and and the the questions ahead of time. Uh, the definition of a brand position is the unique value proposition that your business brings to your market that truly sets it apart from other photography businesses in that market. So how would you define your brand position? Um, video. Like that is my thing. Like, And it's not something I started with. It's something that came on organically about four years ago because I got you know, a place in my life where I realized photos weren't enough for me to document what I was going through in this transition in my personal life. Hmm. And I decided to do a solo, my first solo six week solo trip to, to Asia. Wow. And I was traveling by myself. I was in this place where I was like, I need to figure me out. And I decided to pull out my camera and I was like, while these photos are, are telling a story, they're not telling the full story. Hmm. So I started vlogging. That's how I started vlogging for myself, not for anyone else, and talking about how I was feeling, what I was experiencing with the people I was meeting, what I was visually seeing. And then I started changing the camera from me to what I was showing people. And it was like, I want to remember this. Like I thought, I want to remember the sounds. I want to remember every feeling, the movement, the laughters, the ocean, like the waves, all of it. And I couldn't get that through photos. And so I just remember thinking, this is my video. This is... and. This is a video. These are the videos I'm going to share one day when I have, I'm older and I'm future grandbabies and I'm sitting there and my kids and my grandkids want to know what grandma's life was like, where, like what she did in her twenties. Like I remember thinking, this is, this is the story I'm going to share. I'm not a writer. Obviously we know that. (laughs) I don't read. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Photography is great. I think photography has a place. Obviously it's, you know, it's the Photography became before videography, but video, I mean, we have such a privilege now to live in a generation where video is becoming more important. And I thought what better gift than to give my kids these videos Mm. of her first solo trip. And the first time she went through like the things she went through and the things she talked about and the ways I felt. And that became kind of where it started. And then I thought, why can I not give this to my clients? They obviously didn't hire a videographer. So I checked, like I was like, okay, I have, you know, let's say there are 40 clients, 40 wedding clients this year. And in my questionnaire, like, you know, who's on your vendor team? And in the vendor team, I would look, no videographer. Okay. They obviously didn't get a videographer. What if I didn't tell them that I was going to start shooting video clips on their wedding day, but it wouldn't interfere. Like a, 
it's my first time doing it. So I'm not going to like, you know, if I can't do it, I can't do it. No pressure. Right. Right. So number two, it's going to give me my experience that I need. And three, if it worked out, like what gift to give your clients. So that's kind of like where I started in the video world is I just started doing it as a gift for like a whole year and it grew, grew, grew. And it became something that it became like super easy for me to do once I got the workflow in. And you talk about video being your brand position. There are, there are other videographers just to play a little devil's advocate, but you're, you're actually mixing in well, you're mixing photo and video. Uh, and yeah. actually on your Instagram profile, you say you're a pro at shooting photo and video with one camera, which is really interesting. We're going to, I think, get into that in a little bit more detail here in a second. But do you, do you find that there are many other hybrid shooters in your market that you're competing against? I don't know of any. But that might be me in my bubble of my the bubble I put myself in where I say I don't try to research and look for other people because I like to kind of stay focused and stay in what I'm good at. Yeah. So if there is, I'm sorry guys. <laughs> I mind, I'm I don't I doubt I'm not the first one to do this. I just choose to not sit there and like try to compare myself. So Yeah, you know, there yeah. was there was a time I'd have to say probably six or seven years ago, maybe even a little bit more actually where this idea of hybrid shooting kind of popped up in the industry and it was kind of a fad at the time to talk about it and explore it and experiment okay. with it. But it seemed to kind of die off too. I don't know that it really ever caught on. So you're, yeah. you're probably in a great position where there are not many people that you're actually competing against that you're able to offer this hybrid product. That's pretty cool. I mean, yeah, I would like to say no, only because of the demand that I got into. Like I've started teaching this very recently and I literally have had so much traffic and people saying there's no one teaching this you need to teach this and mm. i'm just realizing like wow okay that maybe that's a good sign maybe this is where i need to be yeah. so i would say no <laughs> well and you know you you also bring a up an interesting point which i mean as much as we've talked here on the podcast about the significance of awareness of the way that the market is functioning um, and i like to have a certain amount of awareness about our industry and my so-called competitors but at the mm-hmm. same time, being too aware, it, it, it can actually become distracting. I like your approach, which is to kind of focus on what you're doing and, and letting that be the primary focus versus paying too much attention to the competition. I, I think, you know, from a brand, since we're talking about brand positioning, from a brand position standpoint, it's good to be aware of, of what the so-called competition is doing so that you can do something differently. You're in a bit of a unique yeah. position and that there are not a whole lot of competitors to, to even be concerned about. But um, I, I love that head down, focus on what I've got going on here and create something great mentality. And uh, it's definitely good food for thought. Talk to us. I mean, we were talking about this notion of shooting photo and video with one camera. What is your favorite camera body that you're that you're shooting with right now? Okay, so I am not biased to any type of brand. I literally have a Canon. I've had a film. I have a Canon. I have a film. I have a um, Nikon, but right now it is Sony. Like Sony is the switch that I made for so many reasons, especially if you do become a dual shooter who wants to shoot with one camera. And the reason for that is, I'm going to give you guys a little education here, is mirrorless cameras. So I guess really honestly, mirrorless cam- any mirrorless camera could do this. Sure. The mirrorless cameras don't flip, right? So the mirror doesn't flip inside. Well, this is something I had to learn. So when you're shooting video and photo on any DSLR camera where it's not a mirrorless camera and it flips, it has to lock the mirror in order to switch to video because when mm. you're shooting photos 
that mirror is constantly flipping, right? It's letting in light. It's taking the, it's taking in the photo. So you hear the click, 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 right? So when you switch to video, in order for those type of cameras to do that, you need to lock in that mirror. So that's what it does. It locks in the mirror and then it takes your video. But in order to do that, it's going to have completely different settings. So whatever you were doing and whatever settings you had in photo, do not convert over into video. So in a time crunch, if a bride's walking down the aisle, if you didn't preset up your video shot for that, you're going to screw yourself up. Like it's going to be a blue, the, whatever last setting you had, it's going to set that up. It's going to show that up. And it ends up being kind of one of those situations where you're like, how do you do this? So I taught myself on a Nikon D750, which it was great because I was able to do those switch r- switches really quick. But the reason I switched over to Sony is because I realized with the Sony camera or any mirrorless camera, I can take a photo. And then I can, because it's not flipping the mirror, and then I can hit the record button and it literally just starts recording. Whatever I was doing in photo is showing up on video. So it's a perfect match in within two seconds in doing a switch. And I was just like mind blown when that happened. I was like, this saved me so much time. Like, thank you, mirrorless cameras. I had no idea. Yeah. Well, and and do you find, uh, so I'm curious actually, and this is, I'll just play naive here for a second. You know, when I'm shooting video on my iPhone, for example, I have the ability to be able to also take a picture while the video is recording. Is that something that you can do on a Sony? To take a picture while the video? No. Yeah. No. Hmm. I don't think so. I have to test that out. So I would have to get back to you on that. But I don't. I mean, if I'm taking a video, I'm I'm focused on the video. I'm not going to try to take a picture. But there there is like a compact Sony RX5, 105, which is my like go-to travel camera. It's like the size of like your pocket. Yes, I love so this camera. sharp too. Oh, and it's autofocus is incredible. Yeah. Like it's an amazing camera for anybody who wants like a little mini travel camera. But anyway, so that one, yes, I set it up so that as it's taking video, it's actually taking a photo every five seconds. Those are great for thumbnails. If you're ever trying to do like a thumbnail, they're really funny bloopers. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I always get the funniest photos from those, but they're not high quality. So one thing I've noticed is those photos are like the lowest of the quality and they're always JPEG. So Ah. if you're trying to get like quality raw photos while you're shooting video, you would have to separate that, I would assume. Okay. That makes sense. Well, let's actually, this is just a good segue into our, our focus for today, which is what it means to get into hybrid photography, doing photo and video and how to begin that process. What would you say would be the three, two or three of the biggest challenges of adding video to your photo workflow? I would say like the first one would be the gear and understanding what you actually need. I think when people think video, they make a list in their head and they're like, the first objective I would say is like saying, okay, well, what gear do I need? I don't, I can't afford any more gear. Okay. So it's understanding what can you do with what you're given? Like, If you have this camera, okay, what do you need to understand that makes video work? And number one on that is always going to be like frame rates. You have to understand frame rates and you have to understand what your camera can shoot in frame rates and what is your visual, um, like what is the outlook? Like what is it that you want want it to look like? So it's understanding the basic basic terminology of video and then seeing if your camera has those capabilities and then what you can add to it. Okay. So that's number one. Number two would be like, once you get to that point is understanding how to do the switch in a timely fashion Mm. when you're shooting with real clients, because your clients are paying you. So I'm a photographer first, videographer second. So that means that when I show up, my client hired me to be a photographer, but then paid me a little extra to shoot video. 
They didn't hire me to be a videographer and then take photos. Right. So that means I have to be able to give them the photography experience without sacrificing that and mm. being able to switch. So how do you do that in a timely fashion without interfering with your first initial job? So that would be number two is just getting that practice in. Okay. And then number three, I would say, is like the workflow that you're going to add on to after. Like uh, yeah. Now, there's a huge workflow that comes in a video that like, great, you got all these video clips, but now you're like, what do I do with this? And how do I make something beautiful out of this? Wow. That's, so, you could probably do multiple podcast episodes just talking about that workflow. That's, that's a loaded topic. And that is something yeah. to consider too. I mean, I, and maybe we can save this for another episode. And I, I know that you also uh, offer education uh, online. And so we'll, we'll make sure to link to that in the show notes. But that workflow piece, of course, as we talked about earlier, I mean, even just with photo, if you're doing your own post-production work is so time consuming and, and video based on conversations that I've had with videographers and, and then doing a little bit of video work myself um, just for, for the sake of content, um, mm-hmm. it could be extremely time consuming. So, yeah, that would I can imagine that'd be a really big challenge big and you know obviously you guys offer this amazing service for photographers for the workflow part but there is such a limited amount I don't honestly know of very many I I get mine through Fiverr but yeah there's not very many people out there that can take that workload off of you and so you have like for me what I teach is how do you get a video out of what you did in the most minimal amount of time Hmm. like straight no actually funny you said the word no fluff earlier in this and I was like that is my word. If I could live by a model <laughs> and like somebody put a word on top of me, Julia's fav- Julie's favorite word, it would be no fluff in any part of her life. Yeah. Kind of fluff. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I think it's, it's, and it's a good philosophy too, because it's so easy to get kind of bogged down with all the, the, I mean, I say this a lot on the podcast, but I think it's a reality, particularly in 2019, all the noise, right? Whether it's literal yeah. or figurative, the digital noise, the, the audio noise, uh, may be applicable in some cases, but there's just so much going on all around us, especially if we're business owners, photography business owners. And it is important to get rid of the fluff. That's so much what this podcast is about so that we can focus on what actually matters and then have a life to live beyond just our business. So that's that's good. I love that. Let's flip this around, though. We talked about a few of the biggest challenges. What are some of the biggest rewards from from shooting video? Okay, so number one is you're offering something different so you're standing out when people are comparing you to other people. Love it. So like if you have a bride that comes in and she's like looking at five photographers and you're offering something that no one else is offering, obviously you're going to stand out. Yeah. And I have a whole pitch for that. Like there's a whole way to communicate that message and where I think big, people's biggest fear is like, well, I'm not a videographer. Like I don't want them to have these expectations and then be disappointed. So there's obviously a way around that. Number two is obviously making more money in the same event. Mm. Like that is awesome. You don't need to book <laughs> another wedding. Yeah. You can just like up your income by like a third of what you were charging, third more of whatever that is and add that on and you're just like you've made way more money. Like that's It's like the bonus cash and the clothes at the dry cleaners. <laughs> yes. You're like bonus money here. I don't have to go anywhere else. I'm literally I mean the only thing you're adding is the workflow after, which is why I teach that in such an efficient no fluff way, but like literally that's it. Like you make more money. Like how much more rewards do you need? And then having this skill, like having this new skill is going to be something that is going to be literally essential for where we are heading in marketing. Like video marketing is going to be huge by 2022. I've done so much research on this. And if you can don't know how to shoot a video, 
to market your service, to market behind the scenes. I mean, look at where we're heading on Instagram. Video is IGTV. We have like stories. We have like all of these video concepts in our social media. People love watching people do things. So if you can figure out how to like take the video skill you have and create awesome promo videos for your own business, promos of your products, promos of you with your clients and talking about what you do, like you are going to show up in the world in a, such a unique way. Mm. And I would recommend that you start doing this sooner than later because otherwise later it's going to be again another saturated industry yeah it's true and i, I was going to say i mean really we're, we're already there like video marketing is is mainstream or it's certainly becoming mainstream already and you're right like we we need to actually leverage this this opportunity to to get in while i mean i would say in some some regards you know the photography industry has caught on to this at least to a point and and so even getting in now, you may be in competition with with a few photographers who have established a brand and, and are on IGTV regularly or producing uh-huh. really great video content. But get in while the getting is still relatively good. I think that's that's a good note to make there and, and take advantage of the opportunity to present yourself beyond just a, a cute thumbnail. It, it showing showing more of you through video. That's a great, great piece of advice. Let's talk a little bit about the skill set, though. You, you were alluding to this idea of learning a new skill, which is so important on multiple levels. Um, you, when you talk about shooting with one camera and making that switch from photo to video, how often, like, what does that look like during the wedding day? How often do you make that switch in order to create the finished product for your client? So I have a list. Um, I know the mental list already, but like, I actually put it in the contract for my clients, and it says what I aim to shoot, but cannot guarantee is like literally how it's titled titled. And it breaks down like the basic clips that I will be taking. And, and it, again, in the contract lawyering up, it says, you know, like I, if, if photo was number one, photo will always win. I cannot guarantee this. Like you didn't choose to hire a videographer. You chose to hire a photographer and add on video. Very different. But yeah, so that list is something that I totally go through. And I think it would be about a hundred and, I want to say like 120 clips throughout the whole wedding. That's it. Not much. I I love that you say that's it. I mean, 120 clips. I I would, I don't know. I guess I didn't have a particular number in mind, but if you'd said like 30 or 40 times, like that would have seemed kind of, that that, that would have been more along the lines of what I would expect, but 120 clips. How in the world do you manage to do that and not get distracted from shooting the, the photography side of things is amazing to me. Yeah, no, it's just practice, I would say. But you have to remember, these clips are literally two to three seconds long. Okay. That's it. So if I'm shooting a detail of a dress, that's a clip. So I'm taking a picture of the dress, turn over my camera, I switch it over to video, and then I go swipe left to right or transitions. I try to do like three transitions per clip because depending on how I edit it, I have to give myself some options. Right. So if I'm going from up to down, the next clip needs to be from down, like from down to some other direction, it wouldn't make sense to go left to right and the next clip go to a different direction. Right. So you have to kind of keep keep the eye a follower of direction. And so wow. I don't know how I'm going to edit that quite yet. So what I do is I edit and I go up left, left, right, right, down, whatever it is. And then I, and that's it. That's my three clips on a wedding detail Whoa. for the dress. Okay. And then the next one, and then I go, okay, now I need a ring shot. Okay. But the ring shot needs to be actionable. So tripod really quick, 
take the photo, take the photo. Maybe my assistant could set up the tripod if I don't have time. And then I like have my assistant roll out the ring and I'm like, just roll the ring. So it clicks on the, it hits and then it just makes like, uh, it falls. So it's an actionable shot because, you know, and still a ring shot can be boring. Um, I'm not in still in video, a ring shot can be boring. And so it's doing something like that. And that might take two to three practices before we get the shot. That's three more clips right there. So it's just like having this mental list of what I need, what's the main points, and then knowing that about each one is probably going to be about three clips just in case I didn't get it. I, you know, I don't even shoot anymore, and I want to take your workshop. Whenever you come out with a workshop for this, like this is fascinating to me. I want to see what this looks like tangibly and, and practically because it sounds really fascinating. And, and I'm sure that the skill set that you're developing, as you alluded to a second ago, that, that you're developing shooting in this way, you're, you're thinking as a cinematographer and not just a photographer, is so valuable for creating marketing content. That would be amazing. Yeah, yeah. It's, I love it. <laughs> I love it. That's all I have to say. I just, I love video. Well, video so fun. for for people like myself who are at least curious or maybe for active photographers who want to begin incorporating video into their work, you know, even if it's just to kind of test it out, like you described doing when you first started with it, mm-hmm. what are a couple of, of big steps that, that our listeners can take to kind of move in that direction? I would say is do not charge until you are confident. So practice, 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 practice. Like the first year you already have the clients. You are as a photographer and a wedding photographer or any photographer, you are already in a great position. You're not fighting to gain confidence or gain customers and show them work that you might not be able to produce. You have customers. So take advantage of that situation and maybe teach yourself like one skill and video, like research one thing, take it. And the next wedding, show up, practice it. Give yourself a little extra time if you need it. Okay. Practice, 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 practice. Until you get to your third, I would say like honestly, by your third wedding, you start to be like, wow, I think I can make a video out of what I just shot. And it didn't even interfere with my work, like with what I was shooting as a wedding photographer. So that would be like step number one. I would say take that advantage of the fact that you already have the event and you already have the clients. and. Yeah. And start, you know, start shooting video clips. That's it. <laughs> Step number two would be is get an organized system for how you are going to handle these files. When you pull them into your computer, you need to organize them on events and then you need to rename those files. Video is different. When you are editing video, it, you cannot find files by just like searching the name, the number of the video file. Like you won't know what it is. So you need to you need to get a very good organized naming system and folder system so that you can find video clips quick and efficiently. That's actually really interesting. I, I honestly wouldn't have expected you to to bring that up, but it's a it's a huge point of well potential stress for photographers too. There, I, I think most photographers don't have the the best organization system you know if if i see a photographer sit down with their laptop and they open that thing up and you see their their desktop their so-called desktop there files kind of strewn all over the place and you ask them to find something and it takes them you know this click and going over here and do this thing and then that and they're still looking for it um it can be chaotic but it's so important just for the sake of having a life as a business owner to to learn how to organize um our files and folders in a way that is well, that, that is organized, number one, but also, to your earlier point, that doesn't include all the fluff. I know back in the day, I'm not sure this is really a thing anymore, uh, but you could take a class, like if you went to, to uh, imaging for PPA or WPPI, take a class 
on digital asset management is what they would call it. Mm-hmm. And, and you'd learn how to organize your files and name files and do all this thing. I don't think it has to be that complicated. I think a simple naming structure for your folders and, and a structure in and of itself, but then a naming scheme, I should say, for your folders and for your files so that they're easily searchable is really, really a smart uh, piece of advice and, and is applicable to both photographers and videographers. It is super essential, especially when it comes to the editing portion of your videos. That is, if you did not organize your files, name them and all of that, like you will add hours into your workflow when it comes to editing that video. It is crazy to me. I'm just like, if I didn't get that system down, I think I... I don't think I would be doing videos. I'd be like, this is not worth my time. And as far as that post-production work, are you using Premiere or Final Cut? I'm using Premiere only because um, obviously we get Lightroom and Photoshop through like the, you know, if you just get the Adobe suites, you get Premiere. So there's, there's that. And I, I find Premiere, I like Final Cut. I just don't want to buy another product if I can include it in my, my subscription already. So I just found that Premiere was easy. It's, it's a little, just like for Photoshop, you know, it's a little bit of a, a learning curve, which is why my, I teach like the no fluff approach to learning Premiere quickly. Yeah. This is basically what you need to do step by step in order to get a video exported quickly. That's oh, all you need. To I want to take like that, that class is- too. Cause I've, I've not been a fan of Premiere, still not a fan of Premiere, honestly, just from a, from a usability standpoint, like yeah. I use Final Cut for editing video and it is it functions the way that that apple has designed you know so many of their products it's intuitive it's drag and drop and and the the layout of the i'll call them the buttons for lack of a better word but the even even the layout of the the menu system or the buttons um it seems intuitive when i open up premiere it looks like photoshop from like 1998 yeah. to me like it just it looks so foreign and kind of convoluted and and um so i again if if you offer end up wor- offering a workshop on on editing in premiere i have to i may have to take that as well it's, yeah yeah i actually will that's like i like my workshop is literally like get you to shoot from beginning to end and then there's the add-on like let's get you a video in less than a day yeah 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 but yeah no that i agree i feel like premiere looks just like photoshop i'm just like in, in Photoshop, it's so many buttons. You're like, what do they all do? Why is there so many right. options? But once you get it and once you figure out what you actually need to know to make a video, it's like, oh, this is actually the easiest thing in the world. Huh. That's interesting. Okay. Well, yeah. I, on that note, and I know that we've just barely even scratched the surface of what it means to be a hybrid shooter, but um, this at least gets our listeners moving in a direction if they're interested in. And I know that you're going to begin offering some resources to, as far as the the opportunity to be able to learn what it means and how to go about this process of hybrid shooting. So will you just remind us one more time of where our listeners, where we can find you both on social media as well as your website. And then those resources, the resource that's coming out, we'll make sure to link to that in the show notes when this this gets posted at bocapodcast.com. Yeah, so you can find me. Uh, my website is currently julianajphotography.com, but we are actually on the switching that. So either way, julianajphotography.com, it will still send you over to julianaj.com which is where I'm leading towards. Okay. And then um, my f- Instagram is Miss Juliana J. That's M-S-J-U-L-I-A-N-N-A-J. Um, you can follow me over there. Honestly, that is like the most updated info you will ever get. I, but I pretty much, I'm like a vlogger on Instagram stories. <laughs> so 
That's if great. you want to see what I'm doing pretty much every second of the day, <laughs> I'm a nomad, by the way, I'm a total nomad. So I literally have to share it all because I have like, feel like you guys are my family. So <laughs> yeah, that is what I'm doing. Well, I, I just appreciate you. I mean, speaking of sharing, I appreciate you making time to to come on the podcast today and and share with our listeners and uh, even get me excited too. Um, this is This is a really interesting topic. And of course, we'll make sure to link to all the resources that we alluded to in the show notes. Again, Boca Podcast, B-O-K-E-H, podcast.com. Juliana, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for making time for the Boca Podcast listeners. Thank you, Nathan. Take care. Thanks so much for listening to the Boca Podcast today. Will you let us know what you think by leaving a review of the podcast in iTunes or maybe in the Apple Podcast app? And I'd love to hear from you personally with your thoughts about the podcast, maybe suggestions about future topics and guests for the show. My direct email is nathan at photographersedit.com. The Boca Podcast is brought to you by Photographers Edit, custom image editing for the wedding and portrait photographer. Just visit photographersedit.com.